This is the fourth Sunday of Advent now when we talk about peace. And peace is one of those things that I think that a lot of people, especially believers, seem to have misunderstandings about. Uh, they oftentimes say things that I think show they don't really understand what it means to be at peace or, at, or be peaceful. And so kind of what I want to do today is clear up some misconceptions that people have about peace and exactly how you're supposed to have peace in your life and, and kind of clear that up before I get to really showing us where peace comes from and how we can have a peaceful life. And so I thought, what better way to clear up the misconceptions that people have about peace than by comparing those ideas to Jesus, because Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. That's one of the many titles that Jesus has, is the Prince of Peace. And that title actually comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, that says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And just like with anything in our life, if we're looking for a perfect example of something, the place that we're going to find it is with Jesus. So let's begin by addressing uh, the first of these misconceptions that I want to talk about, which is that peace comes by avoiding conflict in your life. That if there's conflict, if there's turmoil, people that don't see eye to eye on something, kind of, you know, coming at each other, that the way to have a peaceful life is to avoid those situations, avoid those kinds of conflict. And that is simply not true. You will not find peace by avoiding conflict in your life. And clearly, Jesus did not go through his ministry avoiding conflict. His ministry was really full of conflict with a lot of many different people. And the conflict that I want to highlight today comes from Matthew chapter 26, which takes place during the Last Supper. And this begins in verse 20. It says, When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, talking about the twelve disciples. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. And I really like that answer that Jesus gives because he's basically saying, hey, you said it, not me. Uh, but if we think about this scenario that is taking place, you have Jesus sitting at this table with Judas who is already setting things into motion to betray Jesus. And I feel like I mentioned this before, but Judas didn't actually think that he was going to be getting Jesus killed uh, he was more likely just believing that Jesus as the Messiah meant he would become king on earth. And so he was trying to speed that up. Um, 
But that's not what ended up happening, and either way, he was betraying what Jesus' plans and intentions were. And Jesus, knowing this, still invited Judas to come along and sit at this table and eat this meal with him. He didn't send him out to do something else. He doesn't distract Judas so that Jesus doesn't have to spend any time with him. He still gives him a seat at the table. And while he is there, Jesus doesn't just pretend that everything's fine. Pretend that, oh, I don't know what's going on. What's going to happen tonight? No, he knows full well what's going to happen. He knows what Judas is already in the process of doing. And he calls Judas out for it. This is clearly not an avoidance of conflict. And when Jesus is doing this, he does it for a a very particular reason. You see, Jesus was still the rabbi, the teacher of Judas. And in this moment, he is communicating to Judas that what he is setting in motion is clearly a betrayal of what he wants to do and what he wants to accomplish. This is a betrayal of him. And he's bringing this up to Judas in order to give Judas an opportunity to resolve this conflict, to realize the error in what he is doing and cancel the plans that he has set into motion. Now, we unfortunately know that that is not what Judas did. He didn't set things right. But it wasn't for a lack of effort on Jesus' part. In this moment, he is addressing the conflict, addressing the issue, addressing the problem, and giving Judas a warning, a warning to change. And this is important for any kind of conflict we have in our life, is that if that conflict is never addressed, the problem is never dealt with, it's not going to just magically go away. It's going to get worse. And this is why peace can't exist in your life if you're constantly avoiding conflict in your life, because peace won't exist in the midst of unresolved conflict. Those conflicts have to be resolved. Now, that doesn't mean you go looking for conflict. You don't go stirring it up in your life. You don't go stirring up problems. But as problems appear, you do your best to resolve the conflict so that you aren't living in this place of turmoil. You can live in a place of peace. But just avoiding that conflict isn't going to fix the problem. It's just like if you have a leak in your roof. Ignoring that problem isn't going to help anything. It's not going to lead to a more peaceful atmosphere. No, that problem is only going to get worse and worse. The more water that leaks through the roof, the more water damage you're going to have. And you're going to start getting mold and that, you know, wet smell, wet carpet smell uh, filling up your house. And that water is going to continue to do more damage to the roof. The problem isn't going to go away. It's not going to uh, be a peaceful atmosphere until you deal with that problem. 
And of course, you don't want to deal with the problem by uh, taking a broom handle and whacking it against the part where the roof is leaking or throwing stuff at where it's happening. You know, stop leaking. That, that's not going to make a difference. That's only going to make things worse. So again, you're not stirring up conflict. You're simply not ignoring it, recognizing that it's there and doing what you can to fix it. You are taking your responsibility for resolving that issue. And then, once that issue is resolved, then there will be peace. Because the problem has been solved. And so we shouldn't try to find peace in our life by running away from the responsibility that we have to resolve the conflict in our life. And if we're trying to just avoid any kind of conflict, then that peace is never going to take place in our life. We won't have that peace because we're running away from the responsibility that we bear in creating that peace. So that's the first misconception. Let's move on to another one, which is that peace kind of comes from, a, from an apathetic attitude, kind of this stoic personality, this even keel, just nothing really shakes you up. You're kind of detached from everything around you. And when you're able to really detach yourself from everything and, and be in this place of, of apathy, then you will have peace in your life because nothing's going to be able to bother you anymore. Well, that's not true either. You cannot find peace and apathy. And clearly Jesus was not apathetic. If we go back to Matthew chapter 26, let's go down a few verses from where we were at before. We're going to go down to verse 36, and this is after Jesus has left the Last Supper. And as I read this, I want us to realize the amount of emotion that Jesus is displaying in this passage. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. This is not the display of a stoic, apathetic person. This is not the attitude or, or the words of someone who has detached themselves from any kind of emotional display. This is something that he doesn't want to go through. He doesn't want to have to go through the excruciating pain of dying on the cross. And actually, if you read this same passage of scripture over in Luke that's describing the same event, it talks about how Jesus was sweating uh, droplets of blood, and, and there's been research about that. And it is possible that when you are uh, 
pushed to the extreme limits of just exhaustion and an overwhelming emotion that you can't actually sweat droplets of blood. And that's the point where Jesus was. These words of sorrowful, troubled, overwhelmed. This was what Jesus was experiencing. It's not a detachment from emotion. And yet still, he is a man who has peace in his life. And this is really important to realize, is that our peace, it, it's not connected to our emotions, it's connected to our attitude instead. And there is a big difference between our attitude and our emotions. Our emotions is just whatever we're feeling, but our attitude is how we direct the emotions that we have. It's like laying a path down for those emotions to fall into. And that's done through a conscious effort, not just through an emotional reaction. And so even though Jesus is overflowing with sorrow and emotion in this moment, it doesn't mean that that peace has left him. He is simply allowing himself to, to be human at this time and to feel those emotions. And I don't think emotions are even just a human thing either. God clearly does have emotions as well. God rejoices at times. He uh, is sorrowful at times. He is angry at times. Emotions isn't just a human concept. Emotions is a godly concept as well and something that he has placed in us as being created in his image. And so it's, it's so far off from scripture to think that to have the peace of God in your life, you somehow have to disconnect yourself from emotions or any kind of emotional display. You have to make sure that you are still dealing with those emotions appropriately, but those emotions are not wrong. They're a part of who we are. And it's definitely not something that we should snuff out either. We should simply channel and direct it. Similar to directing a fire. Like when you have a fire in a fireplace, right? It's, it has use in that moment. It's not destructive. Now, if you let the fire just burn wherever it wants to, you get this big old wildfire that's burning down the whole house. That's not productive. That's what happens when you are being ruled by your emotions and, and letting every every whatever whim you have direct what actions you what actions you do and that's not good either but then the flip side of that isn't true either if you have a fire in the fireplace you don't want to throw a bucket of water on it and snuff it out because then you are losing the purpose of what that fire is for that fire that heats the house that provides warmth Fire that is used for uh, cooking things sometimes. Controlled flame is very useful. And it's that same way when it comes to our emotions. And so we shouldn't fool ourselves into thinking that emotional responses to things and peace are incompatible. 
That is simply not true. There can still be peace in the midst of emotion. But what we don't want to do is try to attain some kind of peace in our life by hardening our heart. That's not going to be helpful. That's only going to make things worse because not only are we denying a piece of ourselves that God has created us into, but also when we harden our heart and and try to block ourselves from feeling anything, we also block ourselves off from receiving the love that God wants to give us on a daily basis. You will not find peace by trying to have a hardened heart. You simply need to have a godly attitude and the discipline to be able to direct the emotions rather than being controlled by them. But those emotions in and of themselves are not going to separate you from peace. And trying to do so, trying to harden your heart to attain that peace, it it won't work. And I believe that that is one of the lies that the enemy tells us in order to separate us from the love of God and being able to experience that in its fullness. Peace is not apathy. So if peace is not avoiding conflict and peace is not apathy, then what is peace? Where does it come from? Well, in order to see where it comes from, I want us to look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, that says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here we see the peace of God being given to us as we present our requests to God. And that's where peace comes from. Peace comes from giving your requests to God. Because what's happening there is you're recognizing that, yes, you still have some responsibility in your life. Yes, there are emotional desires and things that you have in your life. But rather than letting those things control you, you are giving those things to God instead and letting God take those things that you have asked him for. Saying, you know, not, not saying, God, I don't, I don't want anything because that's not true. We all have things that we want. We all have things that we desire. So trying to say, God, I don't want anything. Nah, you're lying to God. Don't do that. Instead, be honest. God, this is what I want. And then God, with that far greater knowledge than we could ever comprehend, that is able to see the much bigger picture, can then take those requests that we have given to him. And if those requests line up with God's desire for us, What's going to happen is he, in directing our paths and guiding us, is going to lead us down those paths that will give us what we desire. But if those things that we give to God, those requests, do not line up with God's heart and God's will for our lives, then he will guide us in showing us why those things do not line up with what he desires for us, why those things oftentimes Uh, can be destructive to us 
and then provides an opportunity for him to mold us, even mold our desires into something that fits uh, more closely to his will and will be more beneficial to us in the long run. So either way, what's happening there is instead of saying, I know what to do best with what I want, you are giving those desires, those requests to God for him to direct you in how to either accomplish those things or let those things go so that you can then receive something even better. And once we've done that, we've recognized that all of those desires we have, all the things that we want to be accomplished in our life and in the world, which is something beyond our control. We can't change everything in the world. We can't make everything go exactly the way we want to. So what we're doing is recognizing um, that our responsibility is simply to give those requests to God and listen to him as he directs our path. And then our responsibility stops there. Our responsibility doesn't go past that point of obedience. And this is good because that means that everything beyond our personal obedience to God is not on our shoulders. It's not our responsibility. Those then become the responsibility of God. And when we can understand what is our responsibility and what is not our responsibility, but God's responsibility instead, there is a peace that comes from that understanding. So we give our requests to God so he will take them into consideration. That's another part of scripture. You have not because you don't ask. So ask, be honest, bring it before God. And then as he directs your path, be obedient to him. And then let God take care of the rest and know that, he, that his plan is perfect. It is without flaw. And as long as you continue in his path, the best result will always take place. But we have to relinquish the rest of that responsibility to him and focus only on our obedience to him. Let's take the story of Jonah. Jonah, which, you know, oftentimes we go straight to the big fish that swallowed him up. But what, what is really the core of the book of Jonah? God asks Jonah to go and preach the truth of who he is to the people of Nineveh. And Jonah, because he despises the people of Nineveh, refuses to do so and goes off another way and then gets into the big trouble of the giant storm and being swallowed by the fish and being in there until he spits them up. And then Jonah realizes, okay, I've made a mistake, right? And I'm going to do what God has told me to. There's the obedience. And he goes and obeys what God has told him, and preaches the message of truth to the people of Nineveh. And so in that moment, we see the chaos in Jonah's life as he was disobeying God, and the peace that is restored as he obeys God. 
Now then he doesn't continue in that peace. Because after he preaches to them, he then goes and sits and waits for God to destroy them. Hoping that God, all right, God, I did what you told me to. All right, I'm ready for you to destroy them now. And God even gives him a tree to shade him for a while. Which is so interesting that God doesn't, he didn't take that desire away from Jonah. But he tried to teach him a lesson through it. Because all of those people who were in Nineveh were so glad that God's plan for them was different from Jonah's plan for them. And God needed Jonah to realize as well that staying in that, that mindset, that attitude, right? Not just the emotions, but the attitude of wanting those people to be destroyed did not line up with God's heart and was stealing away his peace because of it. And instead, he needed to realize that his desires didn't match up with what God wanted. And he needed to simply obey what God wanted him to do and let God handle the rest. And if he would have been able to do that, then he would have had peace at the end of that story. What he needed to do was take the desires that he had and place them under God's authority. And when we make our requests to God, that's exactly what we're doing. We're saying that what we want may not be what's best. But we're honest. This is what we want. God, this is what I want. And we're taking those desires, and instead of placing that responsibility on ourselves to see those desires fulfilled, we are placing them under God's authority and then obey him as he directs us to whatever plan is best. We do what we're responsible for, which is obedience, and we leave the rest to God to set the path for where that obedience will take us. And it will always, always, always be better than anything that we could ever imagine. But as we give those requests to God, God fits God oftentimes fits those into his plan for our life. As long as it doesn't go against his will, he will often fit it into our plan, but in his timing and in his ways. And there comes a certain point where we need to give up that extra responsibility that is out of our control and let God handle the rest. And when we understand that he will do what's best with those requests that we have given him, then that peace of God will guard our hearts and minds and fill our life. And it is a peace unlike anything found anywhere else in this world. And so that's where peace is found. Not in these other ways. Not in trying to avoid conflict. Not in trying to detach yourself from emotions, right? We're not Vulcans. That's a Star Trek reference in case, you know, nobody out there watches Star Trek. <laughs> not, de not detaching yourself from emotion. But giving your requests, your desires to God. 
So peace isn't found by avoiding difficult situations or difficult emotions, but taking those situations and emotions and placing them under God's authority. And when we do that, we will have peace in our life. Peace on earth, goodwill to man. So I pray that you will find that peace in your life. And this has been another Sermon in the Pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions, feel free to contact me. You can do so either through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page, or you can also email me at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And as always, I encourage you to share this with other people to help get the message out there. But until next time, this has been another Sermon in the Pocket. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and I pray that God will bless you as you go throughout your day. Thank you.